I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at the story from uh, Joseph's perspective, Matthew chapter 1. And I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together. Familiar, I'm sure, but it's important that we read it. Beginning with verse 18, hear the word of God. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May God add his blessing to that word, and please be seated. Last week, I was reading an article that stated this interesting uh, statistic. It said that one in five Americans say they could uh, accurately, in fact, retell the story of Christmas that's found in the Bible. A plurality of U.S. adults, 31%, say that they could tell the story but miss some details and get many of those details perhaps wrong. Another quarter, 25%, could only give the vaguest quick overview. And 17% said they couldn't tell any of it at all. While fictional Christmas stories seem to multiply each year, the biblical account of Jesus' Jesus Christ's birth is unchanged since it was recorded in the Bible, said Scott McConnell, executive director of Lifeway Research. He went on to say, yet almost half of Americans do not think they could share the Christmas story somewhat accurately from memory. Of all the Christmas programs churches offer in December, possibly the most important is simply reading the biblical account of the Christmas story itself. Now that's why I take the time very often every year to just take us through the elements of the Christmas story that you hear it, that we read it. We as Christians should know how our Savior came to this earth. But in reading this story, I want to remind you we're looking back. We're looking in hindsight. We're seeing things from a different perspective than those who were experiencing it in that moment. We see on this side of Christmas how the promises of God were revealed and how he kept those promises. But we also need to understand, it seems to me, that when God gave those promises, it was not always so obvious how he was going to, in fact, fulfill them. 
the question became, is God trustworthy? Now, I know that some of us in this room probably have some trust issues. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I certainly don't want you to start pointing because that, that would be awkward. But the reason I would say that some of us in this room have trust issues is because we've gone through our share of broken promises. I mean, we've had people say some things, some important things to us, and it wasn't true. I know in this room that there are people who heard some real promises spoken into your life, and you believed them. They were real. They, were mat they mattered to you. They were important. And then all of a sudden, an employer said, man, you have a place here. If you work hard and you do well and, and you keep it up, you've got a place here and, and you will do well. You pay your dues. It will be fine. You're going to love it. But then all of a sudden, you're no longer a fit. You don't fit in here. You're no longer needed. And that promise gets broken and you find yourself unemployed. For some of you, it was standing at an altar before your friends and family, everyone you knew was there, and you were holding your spouse to B's hand, and you made promises to each other. I will never leave you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to pour out my life for you. But the promise was broken. The promise was broken, and your heart was broken too. Or maybe you broke the promise, and you broke their heart. It was a, a boyfriend. Maybe it was a close friend. Maybe it was a parent that made promises. And it just feels like, can anyone be trusted? But this is what I, I, I want you to hear this morning. God's promises are not like anybody else's promises. I want you to hear that. God has never made a single promise he has not kept. When the angel came to Mary, I was struck by what he said to her. In Luke 1, verse 37, he says, No word from God will ever fail. If God has said it, it's as good as done. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Psalm 910 speaks to the core of trusting in God. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And I love Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If God has said it, he's going to do it. You can count on it. So this morning, I want us to take a look at one of the most promise-filled moments, I think, in history, where God was making and keeping and eventually fulfilled his promises. We are going to, I hope, allow those promises to speak to us. And as we look at Matthew 1, I hope to invite you to look at it maybe from a fresh perspective as we look back at Christmas because one of the things you note as you read this passage again is that Joseph was a good man. 
In fact, in some scriptures, in translations, it describes him as a righteous man. He cared about the law. He cared about doing the right things. In fact, he always wanted to do the right thing. He had always done the right thing. And his expectation was this, that when you do the right thing, things work out. This is kind of the deal I think almost all of us unconsciously make with God. God, I will be good, and because I am good, good things will happen, and good things will occur in my life. That's the deal. But Joseph, of course, is devastated and disappointed beyond our understanding, I think, when he discovers the truth about this woman he's about to marry. In fact, he faces probably the most difficult disappointment in his life obviously Mary has been unfaithful but he wants to honor God and he doesn't want to disgrace her more than she already has done to herself apparently and by the way I think he also maybe wants to keep her from danger and physical harm so he tries once again to do the right thing even though though it is a hard thing he decides to divorce her. Now Joseph is thinking about this. This is the way my story was supposed to be written. My goodness, Lord, I've been faithful. I've done all the right things. I'm supposed to be faithful, and my life is supposed to go off without a blemish. I'd be happily married ever after. And you would think as faithful as Joseph had been, God would never give any of his friends or his co-workers any reason to put him to shame. God would just bless him and bless his business and his family, and that's the way he thought his story would unfold. The story is not supposed to be, young man falls in love, finds out that she's pregnant with somebody else's child. And he files for divorce, and he is faced with scandal on his chest. And so he had to be asking, God, where is this going? How could this happen to me? Verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, and as I read that, I almost laugh, because quite frankly, that's, that's an understatement. Joseph is devastated, he's disappointed, he is mourned, he is angry after he has processed this deep and bitter agony. Finally, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is conceived from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. And he will save the people, our, his people, from their sins. And so we know this. He's a savior. That's the first promise. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. 
Now, I want you to think about all the, the promises there, but also the extent of the promise. This is almost a literal promise explosion going on right in this text. A promise to a prophet ends up being a promise to Joseph, and by the way, ends up being a promise to everyone. And that's the thing I want you to note about God's promises this morning. They never end with you. The promise of God always extends out to others. So what do you do when you get a promise from God? Well, well, we're encouraged to step into that promise. Believe it. And so Joseph has this dream, this strange encounter, I'm sure, with this angel, and he wakes up, and at that moment, Joseph has a decision to make. He has a choice. He could simply say, you know, I, I had some bad pizza last night. It was a weird dream. I got to move on. Or he could have decided that he was going to trust what God was telling him to do. And of course, you know the story. Joseph decides to trust God, and he does what the angel of the Lord commands him, even though that too was hard. And so he takes Mary as, as his wife. And by the way, I think he does something else very difficult. He did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and gives him the name Jesus, the one who saves. And I love that about Joseph. His first response to a promise from God is to wake up, lean in, step into that promise and says, God, if you said it, I'm going to believe it. I might as well cooperate with you. I might as well go ahead and be a part. And that is what you're supposed to do when you're faced with a promise from God. If God said it, I believe it because he is going to do it. I might as well join that party. That's what we are supposed to do when we have a promise from God. But notice here, Joseph doesn't just rub a magic lamp and suddenly get three good wishes and God's going to make his life easy. By the way, there's a lot of preaching in our country today that goes on like that. God is a magic genie who will give you wealth and ease and comfort and health. No. In fact... What the story of Mary and Joseph tells us again and again is this. When we look back at Christmas, when God makes a promise, notice it is often harder for those who receive the promise than those who do not. Joseph received a promise and a mission. And here's the point. Joseph received the promise, but he did not receive an exemption. Those are two different things. Should he expect that everybody's going to understand what's going on, that they will immediately understand this idea of an immaculate conception? Not going to happen. They're going to understand that, that, that Mary suddenly was, was, was given over to the Holy Spirit. Could, could he imagine the hardship and the difficulty of having to put his wife on a donkey, nine months pregnant, going into his hometown of Bethlehem because of a bureaucratic census, and then when he walks into his own hometown, think about that, you're telling me that there was not one single family member 
There was not one single friend that he grew up with. There's not one single person he had worked for or worked with who is going to allow this couple, this man with his nine-month pregnant wife on the verge of giving birth to allow them just a tiny space in their home. Not one. Finally, it looks like somebody says, well, you can stay in my barn because I don't want people to get the wrong impression that I condone this sort of thing. Joseph, not everybody's going to understand. Now, it gets worse from my end of things, from my perspective. Joseph is poor. I've told you that. We looked at that Mary last week. His business has probably been impacted by this scandal. A year and a half later, Jesus is born. Wise men come from afar. And I'm sure it was a relief for them to come because they brought some expensive gifts, you remember? And finally, Joseph thinks, oh, finally, things are looking up. But what happens? By the way, an angel comes again that night and gives him a message and says, hey, uh, Joseph, got some news for you. That crazy king, King Herod, living down the road in that castle that you can see from your home, he wants to come and kill your boy. Joseph, you need to pack your bags. You need to leave your home. You need to go down to Egypt. And I think about Joseph, and he says, well, where is Egypt? I'll show you where Egypt is. I'll show you where Egypt is, and when you get down there, I want you to stay there, and I want you to take care of your family there. How am I going to do that? Well, you're a carpenter, Joseph. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for him to become this, this immigrant in a new culture with a new language, having to do work, trying to support his family? That gold, that frankincense, that myrrh may have lasted. It may have helped him get down there, but I assure you it didn't last long. But he had to figure it out. It wasn't easy. And yet Joseph had this promise of God. And all along, he chooses to hold on to that promise. But here's the thing. Joseph goes through all this uncertainty, all this scandal, all this hardship and disruption in his life. But at least he got to see the promise fulfilled, right? At least he's got to see the redemption story of the world come about. You know, Jesus breaking out from the grave, the church born, the spirit received, the redemption of the world secured, right? At least he got to see God's salvation available to everyone. Well, do you know the story of Joseph? Actually, the indicators of Scripture are much different than that. I'll give you one example. In John 19, we have the picture of Jesus on the cross. And there on the cross, as he's about to die, he looks down and he says, and the Bible says, when Jesus saw his mother there, Mary, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, we know that to be the apostle John, he said to her, woman, that's a term of affection like mom, here is your son. And to John, he said, here is your mother. 
And from that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his home. You see, most people read that and understand, why did John have to take care of Mary? Because Joseph had already passed. You do realize that after Jesus gets left in Jerusalem, you remember that fascinating story when Jesus is about 12 years old, he gets left and and Mary and Joseph rush back to Jerusalem for days and find him in the temple that we never see Joseph again. Joseph died early, as many people in that time did. He didn't even get to see the fulfillment of the promise God gave him. Now, when you realize that, if you're like me, you begin to think, and what good is God's promise? If God's promise only means hardship, and people leaving, and stress, and disappointment, and disruption in my life, and there's not going to be even any fruit, then isn't God just like everybody else? Does he really live up to his end of the deal? Some of you are struggling with that question right now. Maybe you haven't been frank about it. Maybe you haven't been honest about it. But you're wondering, is God trustworthy? But listen, Jesus called us to be childlike, but not childish. And he may break our expectations, but I guarantee you, my friend, he will never break one of his promises. He may break those expectations we have, but he will never break his promises. And by the way, those are not the same thing. But I wonder, in heaven someday, when you or I sit down with Joseph and we have a discussion, and you know we're going to have all eternity, so at one point, even if there's a long line, you can go and you can talk to Joseph and you can have this conversation. But I might go to Joseph and I might say to him, Joseph, I want to just hear your perspective. As you look back at Christmas, tell me about that beginning. So many people opted out of your life. So many people gave up on you. You had to say goodbye to your home. Tell me about that. And I think think Joseph might say, you know, there were some tough times. There were some sad times. But you have to remember, God's word says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to find a heart who's perfect towards him. And God wanted someone who had a beautiful heart towards God, and I got to marry her. Do you know what it's like to have a godly person in your life? A godly spouse? I I, I would trade a hundred fake friends for one godly person. And I've got to tell you, I can see how at just the right time, time and time and time again, God put the right people in my life. You know, when no one else would come and celebrate Jesus' birth, 
some shepherds showed up and we had a party. It wasn't quite what I was expecting, but we celebrated. The wise men. You remember when we went to the temple and Simeon, this old man, suddenly looks at us and in glowing terms describes who Jesus is. And that he wasn't done. Then we saw Anna. And she came and celebrated that the promise had been fulfilled. And, and by the way, you know, John and Peter, they spent three and a half years with Jesus. Good for them. But I knew him for years and years. And I got to teach him to walk. And you know, he walked on water. And we talked in the workshop. And I got to see the very image of God. Jeff, the father kept his promise. But Joseph, you were so poor your whole life. Did you ever just say, God, I, I, I don't have to live in a palace, but at least could you give me a boat or something on the side that I could enjoy? And I think God, in that moment, would speak to Joseph and remind him my goodness, Joseph, do you remember what it was to have Jesus in your home, living with you? He was with you every day. But Joseph, you never got to see Jesus fulfill the promise to be that Savior. And I think maybe at that moment, Joseph looks at you or me as we ask that question, Jeff, how do you think I got here to heaven in the first place? Do you think I got here because I was a good man? No. I got here because of what Jesus did for me. And don't you think it was gracious of God? I love Jesus so much. Don't you think it was gracious of God that even though I taught him to walk, I didn't have to watch him walk on that road to Calvary where they yelled at him, rejected him, spit upon him, beat him, whipped him? Don't you think it was gracious of God when we had spent hours working on the wood in the carpentry shop that I didn't have to watch him carry that piece of lumber and be nailed to it? I, I didn't have to watch him hang there, cursed, rejected, killed. And when I closed my eyes and then I opened them, he was already on the throne. And I got to be a part of that. Let's be clear this morning. God does not promise us popularity. He doesn't promise us convenience. He doesn't promise us ease. He doesn't promise us prosperity. He doesn't promise we will always understand. But what he does promise us, and looking back at Christmas, this is what I see. He does promise us himself. And I want to ask you this morning, is that enough?
He said, I will give you peace. I will pour my joy out over you. He does promise us that we would experience his power, a taste of his grace. We would walk in the purposes of his plans. That, he, that we would get to be a part of the salvation experience of others as we love them too. And guess what? Guess what? It's true. God will not leave you nor forsake you. And he will use you to be part of the redemption story of other people because God's promises were never just meant for you. They were always meant to extend out to others if you step into that promise. Because if God said it, he's going to do it. And before you get too far along, you're thinking, well, that's great for Joseph. He was a good man, a righteous man. The Bible says so. But pastor, I know better. None of those promises are meant for me because I'm not a good person. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what this mouth has said. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the promises I've broken. You don't know the people I've hurt. And I would say to you this morning, then you don't know Jesus. Because Jesus said this, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then we can know that his blood and his sacrifice and his life was poured out because he loved you. You can know that he has saved you. There's nothing that can keep you from his love, no matter how many promises you've broken. He promises you himself. What are God's promises? He promises to love you and keep you and save you. And I just know him. He's going to do it. Have you said yes to his gift? Let's pray together. Father, as I look at our congregation, I know that there are brothers and sisters right now wondering, what are you doing? And they are questioning whether you are trustworthy. But Father, I pray that you will give them perspective. And that, in some gentle way, you would give them the assurance that you are a promise keeper. God, I pray that this morning you will reach out to that person who feels like they've broken too many promises and there's no hope for them. They're not good enough. And yes, that is the truth. They are not good enough. But Jesus is. Lord, I pray that they would have their eyes open, their hearts softened, and they would say yes to you and the promises of your deliverance and salvation, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of hope. And that, Lord, as we look back at this day, someday, we would say that is the day I gave my life to Christ and he gave himself completely to me pour your spirit out upon us pour your peace into our lives your joy into our spirits I pray this in Christ's name
Amen.